And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. But we're going to do something totally, completely different today. Um, We're still going to end up talking a little bit about social media, but this is going to be a very, very different program. Um, I have been asked by several people, including the powers that be at Mile High Radio, to talk about something that I've been going through personally. Um, Several people have found it inspirational. Several people have found it I have to admit, humorous on occasion. Other people have, you know, really just shown a lot of concern and wanted to know what was going on with me. And because I just don't want to talk to myself for that entire time period, I have recruited my friend and colleague, Karen Burnsed, who is the founder of KB Communication, to do the honors to interview me today. So welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Let me just say I am truly honored to be here um, to help you in your reemergence back into your professional field. I've um, been with you on this journey, I think, since the beginning, and Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a good story to tell. It's going to be a little more personal for you than your other shows, but everyone's going to, I think everyone will enjoy a chance to get to know you on a different level. Well, and, you know, of course, we want people to learn, uh, you know, some some healthcare things themselves, learn maybe how I use social media, which is clearly not how a lot of people would do it. And that's perfectly understandable. Um, you know, I live my world in, in the social media realm. And so that was why, you know, it, it did kind of creep more into this than, than most people. But it, it was it was kind of cool. And, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Great. Well, so I'm looking forward to hearing some pieces of the story that I didn't know. Okay. So let's just kind of dive into it. What the heck have you been doing since this summer? Well, you know, it was one of those things where I'm a fairly good kid. I do my annual checkups almost like I'm supposed to, um, you know, and, and I've reached that magic age where, of course, it is more important to do them on an annual basis. And so, hello, that's our first public service announcement is do your annual checkups like you're supposed to. Um, but I had gone in in May for my annual checkup and and uh, my primary care physician sent me as normal to go in and have my annual mammogram and I got a phone call from the hospital that same day which you know of course the little flags go tick, 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 hello danger danger and they said you know there was a slight problem with your mammogram could you come back tomorrow mm. Now that was the other red flag was come back tomorrow. But you know, the, 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 there was a part of me that said, Oh, you know, I must've moved. There must've been, you know, something wrong with their equipment, all that good stuff. And, and so, you know, no problem. I go back in and, you know, and, and the technician, very professional, you know, you never could tell from her as to whether there was something wrong or, you know, what was going on, which, you know, I, I do admire them for that. And, so she, she took, you know, the set of mammograms and, and she said, now, you know, please go out into the waiting room. We need to make sure that we got good images, something they always do. Um, and so pretty soon somebody else came out and said, we need to have you do a different type of mammogram. And they said, there's just something that's a little unusual about it and we need you to, to you know, have another one done. So that started this whole process. And, you know, long story short, I do have breast cancer. So, you know, I started making the rounds because the first person that they sent me to was a pathologist who said, you know, oh, yeah, we can do this and this and this. And I thought, you know, maybe, well, but it had to be pre-approved by my primary care physician. So talk to him. And he said, I'd prefer that you go to a breast specialist. He said, let's not jump ahead and, and start cutting before you talk to the specialist. So we did. I went to um, this, this specialist here in, in Atlanta, and what she told me is that I did not have a tumor. I did not have a lump. I didn't have anything that you normally associate with cancer. What I have is something called microcalcifications. So I started researching this, you know, and, and that is something that I have kind of discovered through this whole process. 
of course, with any type of cancer, there is more research and more information out there than you could ever possibly consume. A lot of it anecdotal, a lot of it very factual, a lot of it not factual and not true. So you, you do have to pick and choose what you are reading. So I, I read about microcalcifications, and I did discover that there are definitely websites that are better. You know, the, the American Cancer Society, obviously, is a good source of information. Mayo Clinic has good information, um, you know, all sorts of things. But I discovered that, you, that for women over 50... 50% of them have these calcifications, and there's micro and there's macro. And 95% of the time, there's no problem. With a macro calcification, there's almost never a problem. And typically, this is just happening because your bodies are changing. The hormones are changing, and so it's just you know causing these things to happen in your body. With a micro calcification, that's where there can be a problem. And these little buggers are so small that the human eye could not see them. The computer caught it when it read the mammogram. And so, you know, that was something that was kind of amazing about this. And they are smaller than the size of grains of salt. For us to see them, they had to magnify my mammogram 500 times. And there were these little tiny specks. Mm. You know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, how can these little tiny specks cause any problem? So, you know, I go and I have a biopsy which was not a fun process. Um, a lot of these, uh, you know, tests are, are not fun. They were painful. They uh, gave me Valium to take to uh, relax me before this procedure. Well, I've never done stuff like that. So it basically zonked me out, um, you know, and, and so I had the biopsy and it came back as positive. And what microcalcifications do is, is they are a, an early indicator that there is a problem. And, you know, and I don't know if they're only in the breast or if they appear at other parts in your body, but, you know, there are, there are these things. And so, you know, we, I had a couple more biopsies because, of course, we wanted to make sure because there can be false positives and there can be false negatives. So that is something to, to really think about doing. Now, clearly, if there were a, a lump or a tumor, it's a little bit different. But when you're just trying to grab these little bitty specky things, it, it does get a little tricky. So, you know, by August, I was at the oncologist and the oncologist sounded the alarm and she said, okay, well, and, and I'll, I'll take it back a step. Um, the original plan was obviously to see an oncologist, but that we would do, um, uh, we would do a, a mastectomy or actually we would do a lumpectomy and just try and get the, the tissue that was, was affected in the, that vicinity and then chemotherapy and then radiation. Um, so, you know, that was kind of how I had, had proceeded. You know, I'm still very glib and very flip about all of this, thinking, well, this is not going to be a big deal. I just have these tiny little specks. And, you know, in fact, after my biopsy and, you know, and, and, and you, and it's, you know, it's, um, I still hadn't been all that concerned, had the lumpectomy and let's see, had I gone, I'd gone to the oncologist at this point, but they said, you know, you need to, to have these tests. And so I had a lumpectomy, which is where they just take, you know, a, a part of the tissue and then we wanted to make sure that the lymph nodes were not involved. So she did what was known as a sentinel node biopsy, where they put radiation into the lymph node that is closest to the area. And if it lights up, then they know there's a problem. And they go in and they take the rest of the lymph nodes. And so all of this was done at once. And, you know, another part of the, my education in all of this, and, and I'm not, I'm a little bit more educated than, than some people in this area because I worked for an oncologist for two years and then I worked for the American Cancer Society for two years. And so as I, you know, tell people through this process, I know just enough to really be dangerous. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the original diagnosis had been what they call DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in C2. Now, I really love those last two words. Those are Latin, and in situ means in place, or in other words, has not spread. So I'm thinking this is cool. This is, And this is part of why I was kind of flipping and glib about all this is, you know, oh, we're going to take care of this, and it's not going to be a problem at all. And so she does the lumpectomy. She does the sentinel node biopsy. At the same time, this was all part of the same procedure, and it lit up, which meant that things were in the lymph nodes. And this is this is not good. So she took out the, the lymph nodes in that area, and this is where it gets a little bizarre. Every, you have lymph nodes throughout your whole body. Um, you know, a lot of times, like if you have a sore throat, they feel the lymph nodes in your neck. And, and a pro, uh, the purpose of a lymph node is a filter. You know, it's kind of filtering the bad stuff out of your body. 
but it can also catch it. And that's kind of what happens with, with cancer cells is they get caught in those lymph nodes. And that's why then the, the, it's a problem. But um, there, there's also no set number of lymph nodes that a person has. She took all of the lymph nodes out of uh, my uh, breast area and my armpit, and that was 12. I know people who have had 30 that were removed. So that's where this is kind of bizarre. And it's, you know, and it's, it's just kind of one of those things. And so out of those 12, eight tested positive for cancer. Um, but, you know, in between the time when I had the surgery and, and got the test results back, I went on vacation. I went to St. Louis. I saw my friends at a big dog show. I worked at the dog show. I had a drain in place. I had bandages in place, and I still worked at the dog show. You know, this is not going to defeat me. I'm just going to keep going was was my philosophy, and it still is. Um, but, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting because not everybody, you know, at the dog show knew what was going on. There were people who knew I might have to take a nap. I might have to, you know, do some things. But, you know, nothing all that serious. And so then I came back to the diagnosis that you have a problem. Um, and the oncologist sounded the alarm and she said, we need to change the, the thought process. We have got to start chemotherapy immediately because the bad part about those little speckly spots is they spread. Um, you know, and, and the fact that it was in the lymph nodes no, meant that it was no longer DCIS. It was not in C2. It was, and, and at this point, the diagnosis was stage three breast cancer. Um, stage four is the worst. Stage zero is kind of a precancerous. And so there's, there's that scale. But I have uh, stage three. So, you know, we're, we're starting this process. We're thinking, okay, we're going to do chemotherapy, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, it was, and I was still thinking this is not going to be a big deal. But when the, the test results came back on the lumpectomy, they did not have clean edges, which meant every place, or not every place, but when they tested the pathology, there was not, the, the edges of where she cut were still showing these bad cells. So it meant that, you know, things were still spreading. Um, and so then it was, you have to have a mastectomy. Um, and so now I'm thinking, oh, good golly, you know, this is, this is getting much more serious. You know, we have a, a number to the stage. We have, you know, we have more surgery. We have chemotherapy. We have, you know, this is going to be scary. And, but I'm still, you know, Miss Positive Polly and, and thinking this is going to be okay. And, you know, and, and I, I really like my oncologist. She's one of these people that, uh, you know, makes you feel very at ease. Um, there's a big sign on the door that says, if your questions were not answered, do not leave. Um, you know, and, and, and that's a big part of what I learned through all of this is you have to be your own advocate or have somebody who can, you know, because a lot of times you just spook yourself so bad with this that you're not remembering. And, you know, and, and so you have to ask questions and write them down, you know, because you get in there and, and they're start, you know, they start talking about cancer and your mind goes blank and you forget your questions. So write them down in advance. Some doctors will let you email them, you know, things like that, communicate with them the way you want. And another thing is don't go by yourself. Because your brain goes and, you know, shorts out, have somebody there when you're having these very important discussions because hopefully their brain won't short out. Or if everybody shorts out, it'll be at different times so you can remember all these things. Um, and if the doctor ever has a problem with that, then that's a totally different problem. You know, you should always be able to have somebody there. You should be able to take notes. Um, if you're the type of person who wants to record it, you know, use your phone now, you know, let them know. But, you know, again, if they have a problem with that, then I don't want them to be my doctor. You know, if, if I can't record what they're saying and, and think of it this way, when you have the flu and you go into the doctor, you get home and you go, now, when was I supposed to take that medicine? You know, we, we get into doctor's offices and our brains go blah. Um, and they're talking in different language. You know, they're talking in doctor ease as opposed to, to human ease and, you know, all of these things. And so, you know, my oncologist is perfectly fine with all these notes and she'll say, now, did we answer everything? You know, all of these questions. Um, but it is very important that you trust your doctor and it doesn't matter, you know, even if it's just your primary care, you have to trust them and, and for the most part, like them. Um, you know, and, and clearly I'm going to be with these doctors for a while. So, you know, needed to make sure that was there. Um, so, you know, we skip forward to my very first chemo treatment, which was October 29th. Um, I had been told I was going to have six treatments, 21 days apart. And yes, I would lose my hair, which that traumatized me more than a lot of this other, you know, my hair is me. But as I told the doctor, there's bald and there's dead. 
So, you know what? My hair will grow back. So, you know, one of the, the, the outings that I had with a friend was to go buy a wig. Um, you know, and, and we just kind of made this into a game, which is, you know, for me, that's how I deal with this. I try and keep humor in it. Um, clearly there are very serious times and you, and there are times where you have to be serious, but if I can stay funny, then that's going to help me through it. You know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in the generation where we had mash the television program and not on reruns or on Netflix. We had it on real TV. And I remember one time when they were saying, you know, you guys laugh so much. And they said, that's the only way we survive. Yes. And and to me, that really was part of it is, you know, I have to see the humor in this. Well, I think and, um, you're generally a very positive person anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe I had coffee and breakfast with you the morning you were going for your you first mammogram. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about at that point, you know, everybody gets false positives. You know, it's almost mm -hmm. commonplace now that you go back. Right. And then as we've gone through this journey some, and you mentioned it too, I think cancer has become almost a common word. I mean, you and I right. were talking when you were getting ready for your first chemo treatment and you were telling me, oh, so many women go on their lunch hour and then go back to work. It's almost like we don't give it the credit that it deserves. Right. It's, mm -hmm. We don't realize that no matter how small or what stage, it's still cancer. Right. And, and that word is literally terrifying. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you hear you have, and you know that for the rest of your life, you're going to worry and you're going to fret about every single little thing that happens. Um, and, and I, in fact, I saw a post on Facebook just today from a friend of mine who has uh, stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. She is four years out from everything. And so it's going very well for her. But she said, you know, that, so she had her blood test to make sure everything is okay. And now she's at that terrified waiting stage. And she said, it's like having post-traumatic stress. You know, you until she hears back that everything was okay, your mind automatically says it's not going to be. And part of that is the coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it is always there. And, you know, when I'm sure that, you know, from now on, a sniffle, I'll think, hmm, a headache, you know, something, you know, any, anywhere along there. I am going to think what's going on. And then, of course, my husband and other people around me will, will think that, too. Um, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you talk about me being positive. I do try to surround myself with friends who were positive also. Um, you know, and, and a lot of them have been through this. Um, but a lot of them, you know, whether it was them or their family members or someone they knew. But, you know, that's, that has helped, too, because they have advice. They have all sorts of, of suggestions. But, you know, one of my friends, and, and um, she's here in Atlanta, she had uh, a double mastectomy and has, you know, been through quite a bit. And that's actually who referred me to this oncologist. She came to visit me one time, and she brought me Mardi Gras beads. And I kind of looked at her. And this was when I was in the hospital, and we'll get to that later. But, you know, I Mardi Gras beads? Why are you bringing me Mardi Gras beads? And she said, well, honey. You keep flashing your boobs at everybody. You might as well get the beads. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, okay, you know, this, this is true. And, and, and again, people deal with this very differently. For some people, it is terribly, terribly serious. And, and there's no right or wrong. And I think that is definitely something to remember when you're either going through it yourself or you know people who are going through it. There is no right or wrong. Um, you know, if, if, if they need to cry, let them cry. Don't be the, oh, everything's going to be okay person. Um, now, you know, you should limit your pity parties, but, you know, and, and then also understand that sometimes that humor really is hiding pain. And, and, you know, so just kind of remember all of those things. So but did, were you ever tired of people giving you advice? Because it is such a personal case yeah. scenario. And yeah. I mean, go, going on Google is great, but I always say oh. everything ends in death on Google. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and it's like I said, you know, there's, there's good information on the internet and bad information. Um, you know, and, and the, the problem is nothing really gets vetted there as to whether it's accurate and true. Um, and so you can just scare yourself half to death with, you know, I'm going to die or everything's going to be okay. And then if it's not, then, then things get a little shaky. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I'd say I got get and still get, you know, I'm in the, the middle of all this tired of all the advice because I know people mean well yes. and they really are trying to be helpful. But there have been times where there's been that you have to do this. You must do that. And I'm like, you know what? Aside from the fact that I have cancer, everything else is different. Yes. 
you know, my body is different, how I tolerate things. You know, when, when, um, you know, people have said now, you know, you, you have to eat healthy. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I like McDonald's. I like junk food. Now, will I cut down on those? Yes. Um, will I try and eat much more healthy? Yes. But I'm not a Brussels sprouts fan. I'm not an asparagus fan. I'm not going to, you know, and, and it's not going to change. Um, you know, there's only so much cheese that you can put on things to, to make them where I will eat them. And, um, you know, and, and, and there've been, you know, and, and I do know that people mean well. And so I always try and say, you know, thank you. I really appreciate the information. Now, you know, I might totally ignore it. Um, sometimes it's okay. There's, there's a kernel of something in here that would be good. Um, you know, or, you know, there are times where of course it's, it's very, very valuable information, but at the same point, I'd rather get that than the people who, and, and I understand why they do this, but the people who don't know what to say at all, so they don't say anything. Um, you know, and, and because unfortunately then that comes across as they don't care. And so that's where, you know, if they just send me a Snoopy meme that says, you know, it's it, today's going to be a better day. I know they thought of me. They didn't have to say anything. Um, and, and, you know, we all come across that, whether it's that somebody has cancer or there's been a death or something like you don't know what to say. And, you know, but just knowing that that you thought of them really makes a difference. Um, you know, I've kept all the cards that I got. People have they have sent gifts, you know, phenomenal gifts. And, you know, and, and, and I've been bad. I've, I've thanked people, but I, you know, I need to sit down and, and really write my thank you notes. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I truly appreciate all of it that I'm getting, you know, and, and, but, it, it, you know, people do need to remember that it hurts to think that somebody doesn't care. Um, you know, and, and so even if it's just that you do send them a little happy face on Facebook or a Hallmark schmaltzy card do it. Take the time to do that. And, and that's been what I've been thinking of too, is, you know, and, and, you know, again, I live on, on social media. So if somebody posts, you know, that they're not having a good day or something, I try and respond at least a little bit. It takes five seconds, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and maybe they notice that I respond and maybe they don't, but it is something that, you know, that you want people to, to know that you do care. Well, let's go back. Let's get back on track. Cause we're getting okay. into the real place where you encountered some difficulties, which right. is when you were getting ready to get your chemo treatment. Yeah. You were told you're going to have it six treatments, 21 days apart. Yep. And so I had my first treatment on October 29th. Halloween comes, I hand out candy, you know, I'm feeling hunky dory and I'm thinking, well, this is a piece of cake. You know, again, there I am being kind of Pollyanna. And, um, and, and actually I knew that the first couple of days really wouldn't cause problems. Um, I had now when, when I had my first treatment, it was a little over six hours long. I, I have what's known as a port that has been installed in my shoulder installed. I mean, it, it sounds like we're talking about a car, but it's this thing that they now tap right into for IVs, for blood draws, for things like that. So it's this plastic thing. And then there's a tube that goes into my main artery that goes into my heart. And, you know, it sounds nasty and you, you do have to, to go under anesthesia to have this put in and, and, and you can't see it. I mean, there's a little bump there now, but it makes all of this much easier. And, and, um, so, you know, it is kind of an interesting little critter here in my shoulder and I'll have it for a year. But um, my first chemo treatment was over six hours long um, because I had nine different drugs. Now, I'm not only do I have breast cancer, I, I am what's known as HER2 positive, which is a hormone thing. And when you're HER2 positive, it tends to feed cancer cells. So not only do I have to treat the cancer, I have to treat the HER2. And then some of those IVs were just fluids and, and you know, some things like that. But it took a while. But that's where it's nice it goes in through the port because there's just one, you know, one little poke to start this all off. And then you sit there, you know, uh, I watch TV, you know, all sorts of stuff. I ordered Jimmy John's takeout when it came to be lunchtime, <laughs> you know, you, you, and that is kind of this whole process is to try and make stuff as normal as you can. Um, you know, other people were there, oh, my first day. And I don't think I told anybody this, this was just the funniest thing. Um, they, you do get very attached to the, the, the staff. Because you're there a long time. And and the staff in an oncology clinic are very different. They are extremely compassionate. Um, but they're, you know, they're also pretty funny too. And but they know when to be funny and when not. But you do get attached to them. And this 
oh, this gorgeous man came in and he was there to, to hug all of the staff. And I'm like, oh, hello, I'm here too. Yeah. Um, fireman. So, you know, kind of feeds into that, that stereotype. And he had been a patient several years ago and just happened to stop by and wanted to come in and, and say hello. And so you do, you get very attached to these people. Um, but, you know, Halloween comes, Halloween goes, I'm feeling just fine. I get to the Monday after my treatment, still feeling pretty good, but starting to feel a little tired, which that was, you know, that was kind of what they had said was, you know, the first couple of days you're going to feel okay. And then you're going to drag down by the week before your next treatment, you're going to feel back to, you know, close to a hundred percent. We had planned to take a trip to Colorado because again, this wasn't going to bother me mm. and had our plane tickets, had all of this stuff. And, you know, and, and had it all timed out where we thought it would be okay. I was going to wear a mask on the airplane because your immune system is obviously very compromised. And an airplane just has, you know, more cooties than, than anywhere. But, you know, was planning to do this. And so then I, you know, Tuesday I get up and I'm not feeling good. You know, I've got a stomach ache. I'm nauseated. And I'm thinking, okay, typical chemo type of, of response. But by Tuesday afternoon, it was like, hmm. And I called my husband and I said, I think you need to come home from work. Now, it, I still didn't think it was anything all that serious besides just a typical chemo reaction. But that night I developed a fever and it was high enough that we called the oncologist. They said, take Tylenol, took Tylenol, fever went down. But by Wednesday morning, the fever was, was pretty high. And, and to be honest, I actually don't remember how high it was, but I had pain in my lower abdomen that was excruciating. And a pain like I have never felt. And I told my husband, I said, it's hospital time, you know, and, and we're not even going to be able to, and, and we, we literally live five minutes from the hospital, but I said, you can't take me. We've got to call an ambulance. And so he called the ambulance. They were there. Actually, the fire truck got there first. You know, my life seems to revolve around firemen. <laughs> you were hoping. Um, I know, I know. They, but they, you know, I was in so much pain. I don't remember if they were cute. <laughs> um, they did have to carry me downstairs. I was not able to walk down the stairs. And, and by that point, the ambulance was here. They whisked me off to the hospital. You know, my husband follows in the car. They notify the oncologist about this fever and this pain. And then we start the process of ER. You know, what's wrong? Yada, yada, yada. Um, all sorts of things. Well, my oncologist had seen this before. And she said, you need to order a lower abdominal CAT scan and you need to do it now. And they all kind of dithered around and well, and she said, no. Now, part of the problem was they couldn't give me any pain medication because they didn't know what this was. And so I was kind of in and out during this process just because it was so painful that I don't remember a lot of what was going on. Luckily, they did the CAT scan because they discovered that I had a hole, an abscess in my colon that had ruptured. Now, that's extremely serious. Um, your colon has all of those nasty cooties that have made it all the way through your body. And those cooties were now going inside my body. So I had emergency surgery um, and it was very tricky. The surgeon did not want to do it. He said, you know, because by that point I had no white blood cells. That was a result of chemotherapy. They just hadn't had a chance to build it up, which meant I couldn't fight off anything. I had no immune system at that point. So he didn't want to do surgery. And the oncologist and he disagreed. I actually remember that part. I remember them yelling at each other out in the hall. And, and, and we had to sign extra forms saying that this was not really his advice, but he would do it. That part, excuse me, took 45 minutes. You know, he went in. It was just he was able to go in with a scope. So just little holes as opposed to big holes. He was able to clean stuff out. Didn't have to take anything out. Because at that point, we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen and, and how I was going to come out. Um, but unfortunately, because the colon had that hole in it, I became septic. And I also developed two blood clots in my lungs, which one in each lung. So I had three life-threatening things that happened within about a 10-hour period. Um, very, very critical. I had doctors who saw me during that time period that when they saw me several days or weeks later told me, that they were surprised that I was still alive, um, you know, and, and that's a very sobering thought uh, to, to have them do that um, because you know, you're sick. And, and obviously after surgery, I was in ICU for five or six days, but you don't quite grasp how sick. 
Now, my mother and my aunt flew out from Kansas, which, you know, that I wanted that. That was, you know, obviously something that, that I needed. Um, and, you know, but I didn't really know just how sick I was. I just knew I was really sick. But there was, you know, we, we talked about humor before. I remember one of the things that, that happened. And, and, you know, I was very fuzzy through this whole period. I was on at least three different antibiotics, lots of pain medication, um, you know, all sorts of things. And tubes going every which way, you know, it was, I, I was completely stuck in bed because I had so many tubes I couldn't move. And, um, and I was also in isolation because of the sepsis. They needed to make sure I wasn't in, uh, didn't get anything else. And so people who came to visit me and the, the staff all had to wear masks so that they didn't, you know, uh, give me any germs. And for some reason, the masks were yellow. And in my very befuddled state, I distinctly remember thinking, Hey, look, all these people have beaks, you know, I'm thinking, they have, you know, which I don't remember a lot, but I remember that. Um, so, you know, long story short, got better from that, then developed another complication. Um, in, in amongst all of this, they thought I had a heart attack. Turns out I didn't. It was a result of the, um, blood clots in my lungs. It just made it hard to breathe, which then of course caused stress and anxiety. And so I kind of talked myself into, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. Um, one of the medicines that they gave me made me throw up a lot. Um, and I actually threw up so much that I tore the lining in my stomach. Uh, because of the blood clots in my lungs, I was on heparin, pretty large doses of heparin, which is a blood thinner. And you really, really get a very quick response to, from people when you are on large doses of heparin and you start throwing up blood. Mm. I got to meet the people from the rapid response unit. I looked up and there's eight people in my room, um, you know, and, and they were also there when they thought I was having a heart attack, but ended up having to have more surgery. Um, part of my small intestine had literally died because I was not able to eat during this period. They had to make sure that my, my colon healed. And so um, I wasn't able to eat. And because of that, because of, you know, other things that were happening, they ended up removing half of my small intestine. Um, which you got to have that, um, you know, now found out that that they took out about seven feet, you've got about 18 feet of small intestine. So, you know, they, they I've still got intestine, um, and they, in, they took it out in two different places. So I had two, you know, two patches. Now this was a big incision. This incision is a little over eight inches long. Um, and so, you know, no more bikinis. Hmm. And, uh, but you know, and, and through all of this, you know, there was, you know, just lots of tests, lots of, you know, I tell people I had every specialist in the hospital except OB and pediatrics okay. um, because I had this infection. I had lots of infections. At one point I had six different IVs at the same time, um, you know, all of this stuff. And then uh, I had more surgery just to make sure that everything was still okay. Well, I think so three, you need to make yeah. sure you know, right now you're feeling great and you sound very healthy right. and strong mm -hmm. talking about it. But this was a, a really low time. I mean, I've been oh, in to see you a couple times. You weren't mm -hmm. yourself. You were in a lot of pain. You were in a lot of concern. Mm -hmm. And you had a lot well, of people coming and going, giving you information. Yeah. yeah. And and I was bald, you know, and, and so, you know, because uh, my friend Sandy came in, my hair really did start coming out, which that was just a pain. Um, so she came in and, and Sandy, you know, she just buzz cut me. Um, and that turned out to actually be a good thing. One less thing to have to worry about was my hair. But that happened very um, quickly. You got, it did. I was, yeah. I was really surprised that mm -hmm. it was not very long after you were in the hospital, which was what, two weeks after your chemo? It did. Yeah. You know, and, and, and my hair was very thick. And so, you know, it, it literally, when people would talk, you know, when people talk about losing their hair from chemotherapy, they talk about it coming out by the fistfuls. Mine did. Mm -hmm. You know, I could just put my hand up there and just pull out hunks of hair which to me was more depressing than anything else. And so it was like, okay, just make this go away. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, and so Sandy came in, buzz cut, you know, took care of that. Um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight. I had all these tubes. I must've scared anybody who came to see me just half to death, just by looking at me. Um, I was in isolation three different times because of, of a variety of infections. And, you know, so that affected how and when people visited me and what they had to do, they either had to mask up or gown up or do, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and then we did, we had this plethora of nurses and doctors and people coming and going and, you know, a lot of the medicine they gave me, I would fall asleep at the drop of a hat. And part of it too was your body was saying it needs to heal. Okay. Take a nap now. Um, I had what, you know, I, my unofficial diagnosis was night terrors. I was scared to go to sleep. 
in a lot of ways, I was scared that I wouldn't wake up. Um, and so my mom or when my aunt Nancy was out here, she stayed and then Tom stayed. So there was somebody with me every night when I was in the hospital. Um, we talked about a lot of stuff. We watched TV. We did all sorts of things. I would drift off and then I would have nightmares. Now, you know, part of the nightmares were due to the pain medications and my rational mind knew that, but my irrational mind just freaked out. And, you know, and, and that was where, again, it, it, you had to be an advocate. Um, the, a lot of the pain medication they gave me, I hallucinated. Mm-hmm. The walls moved. That was really bizarre. And so I told them, I can't take that again. And so we went through this process of, you know, what are you going to take and, and all these various things. Um, you know, I had to tell the nurses, you can't give me that medicine again that made me throw up so bad. I ended up back down, you know, having more, more procedures. And, you know, and, and then you have to learn to deal with the doctors differently. They're, you know, they're doing rounds. So they're coming through quickly and they're giving you all this doctor ease quickly, you know, and, and they leave before you say, uh-huh. um, and one of the things they almost always did was they stood where I couldn't see them. And, you know, and, and I put up with that for about two weeks and then I would stop them and I would say, excuse me, I need you to move to the foot of my bed so I can see you. And, and, you know, because if I couldn't see him, I'd fall asleep. Right. You know, and, and then whatever they were saying, you know, didn't get to me at all. I just would fall asleep and excuse me. So I did that. And then I also, because I saw so many different doctors, they would come in and just start on, you know, how's this, how's that? And I would say, no, no, wait, wait, tell me your name again and tell me your specialty. And one actually came back one time and apologized. And he said, it was so routine of him to come in and just stand in the same spot, not introduce himself, that he never even thought of it. And, you know, so many of them, and I don't care if it was the doctors all the way down to AIDS, they see you as the patient. And they forget that there's a person who is attached to the tubes and, you know, all of these various things. And, you know, one of the things we did was I changed surgeons because the, the surgeon who did my first two surgeries, he was younger. He was very enamored with himself is probably the easiest way to put that in a way that I can say on radio. Um, and not all that concerned about me. And, and, and I just didn't like that, you know, and, and plus he scared me half to death. One of the things that he told me was, um, that during the second surgery, when they removed that big chunk of my intestine and, and that surgery took six hours. I mean, this was definitely a very serious surgery. He said that it had gotten so bad twice that he almost just closed me up and sent me to hospice. Ha, 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 ha. Well, you don't tell somebody that. No. I mean, you know, especially not the way he told me. And and that, you know, then, of course, I was afraid to go to sleep and, and all sorts of things. And, and then I was afraid to have more surgery and, you know, all these various things. But, you know, it was definitely something where, you know, I, I had people that could say, now, wait a minute. What did that acronym mean? You know, they'd come in and, and they'd say, you have boogity boogity. I'm like, what? I don't know what that is. Or the people with me, whether it was my, my mother, my, my husband, you know, I had lots of friends that came in and I had no problem with them staying when the doctors were there and saying, no, wait a minute, what the heck are you talking about? Um, but you, you do have to make sure you understand yeah. because it's very complicated. And, um, you know, so we changed surgeons to, to this one and I just love him. You know, he was, he would take as much time as you needed. You never felt like you were rushing him or anything like that. And, and that was definitely good. Well, if you're going to um, send flowers to anybody, I would definitely send it yes. to him because oh, yes. after, him, after he took your case, that's when you took a change for the better, finally. Definitely. You know, and, 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 and now he also told me how serious things were, but he did it in a different way. Um, you know, and, and he clearly knew what a good bedside manner was. Um, and, you know, for anybody who's here in Atlanta, if you need surgery, go to Dr. Odom. Love him. Okay. So there was my plug. Um, but you know, he, he took the time and we also learned, you know, sometimes the doctors wouldn't always tell you everything, but the nurses knew. So you could ask the nurse, wait a minute, what the heck did they just say? And they would tell you, and sometimes even the aides, you know, they would help clarify stuff. And, and so, you know, we did all that. So anyhow, was in the hospital a total of five weeks. I mean, that's a long time to be in a hospital. And, but because I was pretty much bed fast that whole time, you know, remember tubes, all this good stuff. I, you lose a lot of muscle tone. And so I had to go to a rehab center. 
And basically, now I was, you know, I didn't have to learn how to eat again or anything like that. I knew how to do that. And I could get dressed and I could do those things. But I had zero stamina um, and I couldn't do things like go up and down stairs. And so I went to a rehab facility. And at that point they said, well, you know, we're probably going to keep you here several weeks. And I looked at him and I said, no. And what do you mean? I said, I'm going home before Christmas. And that was, Christmas was about 10 days away. Um, and they looked at me and they said, it's entirely up to you. If you, if you do what you're supposed to and you work hard at it, you can go home. Um, you know, and, and we chose a rehab facility that was very close to the house that made it much easier for my mom, especially to be able to, to come and go. Um, you know, again, it was just like any other place, good staff, bad staff. Um, some of them would think, and, and part of it was, you know, in, in the hospital too, everybody assumed that you'd been told this or you'd been told to do that. And when you'd say, now wait, I was never told. They'd look at you like, well, what do you mean somebody never told you that? Um, but, you know, the, I, the, the staff of physical therapy at this rehab center were absolutely phenomenal. Um, now, you know, I was, I was one of the younger people there. I was definitely more physically advanced. You know, a lot of the people that were there were much older, had strokes, things like that. And so the fact that I could joke and laugh and, you know, talk with them and and really communicate with them, I think that probably did, you know, come into how they treated me. But, you know, they were very caring. They were very, very compassionate. Um, You know, I because I still had that large wound from the the surgeries, you know, they weren't going to push me too hard. And, And if I said this hurts. We stopped. Mm -hmm. Now I wasn't going to cheat and say this hurts when I just didn't want to do it because again, I wanted to be home for Christmas and I was, I was released from rehab on the 23rd of December. Um, Christmas was obviously very sedate. We didn't do an awful lot for it, but I was home. Um, you know, and, and after seven and a half weeks of, you know, all of this stuff, I was home and so, you know, now, you know, we'll, we'll kind of skip ahead because I know we're, you know, we're at good golly, we're going to run short on time pretty soon. But, um, you know, I, I'm still going to have a mastectomy and that's going to, you know, we're, we are, you know, this uh, program obviously gets archi- archived, but it will be broadcast on February 1st. Um, and on February 5th, I'm having a double mastectomy. Um, I have chosen to have both removed, even though the one doesn't have any signs of cancer because I don't want to worry about this. You know, I don't want to have to think, you know, if we talked about, you know, post-traumatic stress and all those things, I'm not going to deal with that. And the surgeon, the oncologist are fine with that. Um, You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's what is known as a prophylactic mastectomy, which means preventive. Um, And we're just, that way I don't have to worry about it. Can there still be problems? Yes. Um, You know, and, and now here's the amazing thing. They now do, at least down here at this hospital, they do mastectomies as outpatient. You know, I remember when people were in the hospital five days. Now, part of that is they don't want you around those other germs. Hello, we know lots about those germs in those hospitals. Um, But they said, you just heal better when you're home. So I will be home probably the same day I have it done. I will wait until I'm fully healed from all of that, which will be about four weeks. And then we'll do some type of chemotherapy. Obviously, it has to be very different than what we did before. Um, and am I worried about that? Of course. You know, it, it really did about kill me. You know, we joke about that. Oh, you know, ha, 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 this about killed me. No, I really did about die, which is just this whole bizarre concept. Um, you know, and, and but the and oh, so we have good news in, in all of this stuff. One of the scans that I had was called a PET scan, P-E-T, and that's an acronym. And I, I honestly don't remember what, but, you know, it's a PET scan. And... It shows, it, you do your whole body, you get this um, radiation b- the, uh, that is put into your body, and they tell you you can't fly anywhere because you'll set off the alarms at the airport. Um, and that attaches itself to glucose, which is sugar. Sugar attaches itself to cancer cells. And so they do this big scan, and when they do it, they're looking for something glowing. And glowing can be a problem. So, you know, I go, I have the PET scan. I had it on December 31st, which woohoo meant it was still on last year's insurance, which clearly I met my deductible and all of those other things way early in the year. So it didn't cost me anything. Um, but, you know, the, the PET scan, we, we were all thinking we want no glow bugs. That's what I've called. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that. I've named a lot of these things. So we wanted no glow bugs. 
I had no glow yeah. bumps. No cancer showed up in my entire body. Now, it doesn't show really, really, really small things. So it's not 100%. But it's definitely something that, that we were not expecting. Um, you know, But it does mean that the treatment will be a bit different. Because we're no longer, for the most part, treating an active cancer. The treatment is to keep the cancer from coming back. Um, so because, you know, I made the mistake of telling them, oh, good, I'm done. And they all looked at me and said, no, you're not. Um, you know, you still, you know, and, and, and I will have to, you know, I, I will be a survivor now. Woohoo. Um, but, and, and, you know, like I said, it's not a hundred percent. There still could be something there. So that's why we still have to have the chemo and, and the radiation. Um, but you know, we've, we've done those things. We also had another bit of good news. I'd had some fluid on my lung. Yeah. So we were going to draw that fluid, make sure that it was okay. They went to do it and the fluid was gone. So, you know, which was good. No big needles like that. Um, you know, and, and so we're still, you know, probably six months of treatment, maybe just three or four, who knows. But, um, you know, we're, we're getting through it. And, you know, a big part, and this was why I really wanted to talk about this on my program. A big part of how I got through this was the support from my friends. Well, let's talk about um, that for a second. Yeah. You, um, yeah. When did you decide you wanted to tell people and needed the support? And I know, I, I think the first thing you did was create some private groupings and then you went ahead yes. and created um, a larger, I guess, Facebook group. Well, I have, I just have the one group and it is what's known as a secret group. There's three different types of groups you can have on Facebook. One is just totally public. Anybody can be part of it. Um, and anybody can post all those various things. Businesses, you know, a business organization might have something like that. Uh, celebrities, you know, movies, who knows? You know, it's, it's just wide open. Um, then you can have what's known as a secret group, which means that if somebody searches Facebook, they can see, see that the group exists. But you have to either be invited by a member of the group or... Um, and, and no matter what you, your, your membership has to be approved. So that way you can kind of keep the trolls out. But unless you are a member of the group, you can't see what's being posted. And then there is a totally secret group, which can't be seen. And the only people who know it's there are the people who are members. So I chose to have the secret group so I can invite people group, other group members can invite people. And, um, you know, I think I started it in, in early August. And part of that was, to remind women and remind men, I mean, there are men who are part of this group, but to remind everybody how important it is to go have your annual mammogram. You know, what happens if you get some of these, these uh, diagnoses, all these various things. And I thought we'd have maybe 20 people. <laughs> As of when I looked yesterday, there were 333 members of this yes. group. And a good portion of them are very active. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because there are all sorts of programs that people can be a part of that, you know, the, the hospitals have them, American Cancer Society has them, there's support groups, there's, you know, tons and tons of, of good support out there. And I encourage anybody who's going through this to, to really research, you know, some people need a lot of support, some people don't. And of course, they came to me and they said, you know, there's a support groups, blah, blah, blah. I said, it's okay, I have my Facebook friends. And they kind of rolled their eyes. And I told them more about my group. And they said, you're right, you don't need any additional now, support. Break down your group. Um, How many do you think are personal friends? I know there's people you grew up with, you and I've known mm -hmm. each other for probably 16 years, right? How many of them are personal friends versus professional colleagues? Probably about half and half. And is there um, ever, uh, do you ever feel like you're sharing too much with people in a professional setting? I, well, that's part of the reason why I started that group, um, because I told people in the group, I'll be sharing more detail than I wear, will anywhere else. And so if you just don't have any interest in that, there's no judgment. I mean, some people just don't want to hear it for whatever reason. Fine. You know, I, it doesn't mean they don't like me, that they don't care. They just don't want to know about it. But I told them, I said, you will get more detail here than you will anywhere else. Um, and so people kind of got to choose. And I know that there are a lot of people who, who are group members who may not ever read a post, um, but it's there if they yes. want it. Um, some of my clients are group members. Some of them aren't. I gave them that option, um, you know, because I can automatically add people. But, you know, and, and obviously my clients know that I'm going through this. You know, they really knew when I dropped off the face of the earth for two months. But, um, you know, and, and luckily I had colleagues who took over for me and, and were able to do things. But um, 
on my my just my regular Facebook page the you know that the whole world sees I've only posted maybe four or five times about this because to me that that is definitely the more public space where I don't want to get into it there um you know and and basically what I tell people there is if you want more information I'll add you to the group and you know and and that's kind of how we've done it so I've kept my regular Facebook page as just regular Mm -hmm. Facebook it's where I'm posting, you know, hey, we had great weather, here's a Facebook tip, all of those things that, that I normally post, um, but the, the group is where they get much more information. Now, am I giving, you know, am I still giving too much information? Well, maybe on occasion. Um, you know, it's, uh, but I try not to. I mean, there's, there's a lot of detail that I never put in there that I just wouldn't, yep. you know, there are some people who knew some of it and some people who didn't. I mean, you know, it, now they, they do know it got rough. And, and one of the things that was very interesting was, of course, when, when I did get so sick, I stopped posting. And I had been posting pretty much every day. And a good portion of that were simply inspirational posts, funny posts, I'm thinking of you today posts, things like that. Um, but then when I dropped off the face of the earth, it never really occurred to me how much people would worry and care, um, you know, and, and I couldn't post, you know, I, I couldn't do anything. And so other people posted and kind of brought people up to speed and we, you know, and, and, um, and then when I was able to post, I, I got back now, to when it. You but... had other, I was, that was one of my questions for mm-hmm. you because, um, mm-hmm. I tend to be a very private person. Of course, I haven't gone through anything mm-hmm. like this, but when you were out of commission and other people were posting, and I know there were times you asked me to update the group. Um, but mm-hmm. then there were times that other people, I think people in your family might copy and paste an email that was sent out. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel an invasion of privacy or like you had lost control or you wish something hadn't been shared to that group of people? Not really. Um, again, I knew it meant that people cared, uh, you know, and, and, and nobody ever shared really the, the nitty gritty, this is how many times she got sick today right. type of posts, um, you know, and, and so that was okay. It was, and sometimes maybe there was a little too much information, but it also was, it was better than no information because again, that got people so concerned that, um, you know, it was, it was okay that they posted and well, it was, it's an you know, instantaneous and, way to update a mass right. amount of people. Oh, I yeah. mean, I know the times and, I would comment for you and I only did it a couple times mm-hmm. after I saw you. Mm-hmm. I mean, within minutes, people from all over the country, just thanks for updating oh, us. I know, you know, and, and now the one thing that I always wanted to be conscious of, and, and we've all seen this happen on Facebook is when there were things that were more serious that were, were happening. There were certain people who needed to know that first and needed to know that either from, you know, a phone call from my husband or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, I, I saw this just last week where somebody was posting about someone's death and one of their family members found yeah. out that way. You know, and, and so that I think is something that people always need to be conscious of is, you know, it is instantaneous. And but keep in mind that that, you know, there are times where the personal touch is needed. You know, it was, you know, it would have been horrible for some of my friends to, and, and some of my family members to have found some of the things out that happened to me just from a Facebook well, post. Even, even um, on good news, you know, somebody's, let's say they're announcing right. having a baby yeah. and they want to have yeah. control over mm-hmm. it and somebody else mm-hmm. or got engaged. Somebody can totally right. steal your thunder now on social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is something, you know, when, when we are all individually posting, you know, maybe we did have, you know, we saw the person get engaged or we saw them right after that. Keep in mind that there are people they want to tell right. first, um, you know, don't post about it, you know, watch their pay or ask them, you know, Hey, you know, is it okay if I go ahead and post this? Um, you know, there was a, a friend of mine who, uh, became an uncle for the first time, posted some pictures and then all of a sudden the pictures were gone. And I thought, Oh no, Oh, oh dear, what has happened? Well, it was one of those circumstances where not everybody had been told yet. Everything was perfectly fine. But, you know, we, we all want to make sure that we're not, we're not the, the, the town crier um, before it's, it's appropriate. And, you know, and, and I think that is something that, you know, we, it does happen on Facebook and Twitter and all of those things. Whether we're excited about it or we're wanting people to pray for somebody or, you know, all those various things, just stop and pause and think, 
have they notified everybody that that needs notified um you know and 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 let them tell their their good or their bad news and then yeah and then even ask is it okay for me to share this you know i'm fine with people sharing my story a lot of other people wouldn't be and you know and that's perfectly fine that is their choice and remember it's their choice um you know don't don't go ahead and and share it even if they were posting about it on facebook they still you know they might have posted just for their friends and when you post to your friends that's different people that's you know depending on your privacy settings they could be public um you know and and so don't do that without you know their permission well, i think you do have to think things through I mean, I know, Mm -hmm. as you know, I have three daughters and whenever we have birthday parties, I don't post those pictures Mm -hmm. anymore because for whatever reason, whether we left somebody out, one time my daughter had a party and she just wanted to invite two friends. Well, I didn't want her other Mm -hmm. friend's parents to wonder, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and especially with kids, you know, the sad fact of the matter is there's a lot of really bad people out there and, you know. People don't always want their kids' pictures posted or they don't want their last name posted. You know, it might be okay to say, hey, you know, uh, we had a great time at Allie's birthday party, but they don't want the exactly. last name posted and, and, or they don't want the location. And, and that actually goes for anybody. You know, I'm not wild about somebody posting where I am. Um, so I've turned tagging off. I don't let people tag me at a location. Um, you know, especially if it's a night meeting. I don't want people to know that I'm somewhere walking to my car in the dark you know, and, and so it's, you know, just kind of keep those things in mind if, and, and other people think it's perfectly fine. And, and it does tend to skew a younger demographic. They kind of grew up with all of that and, you know, just kind of stop and think about it. Would you want somebody to know that that person is walking to their car in the dark and their car is, is a ways away? Um, you know, post about it later or, you know, like I've said, turn tagging off that way. It's your option as to whether you want that scene or now, not. Here, here's a question I have as we kind of start to wrap up for you. And this one actually mm-hmm. came from my oldest daughter when I was telling her I was talking to you. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a very good question. When you were in the hospital, you were actually off social media for a while. You didn't have the computer. You didn't I have was. the strength. Mm-hmm. It was hard to see. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel? Did you feel disconnected? Did you feel like when you came back, did you feel you had missed months of people's lives? I did. You know, and, and it still... It's kind of bizarre. Now, granted, I'm on social media more than probably the majority of people and because it's what I do. But I did miss things. You know, I missed some babies being born. You know, all of a sudden they're posting pictures of these children and they're two months old. I'm like, oh, no. Um, you know, or engagements or I missed a wedding. You know, all of these things. Plus, I just miss the everyday stuff. Uh, you know, some people now, you know, they're, everybody has their favorite people and it's your friends, it's your family. Some of those I did go back through and, and just look at some things. And then other people I'm like, well, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry that I'm late in telling you congratulations, you know, just joined the party. But, um, it it was weird because that's where I get a lot of my news also, you know, as to what's going on in the world, whether it's actual news, like what's going on in the world or just, you know, somebody got a promotion, somebody got a new job, all of those things. And, you know, it was something that probably for at least four weeks, I was completely social media free. And, and I'd think about it and then I'd fall asleep. You know, that was yes. kind of one of those funny things. But, um, you know, and, and, and now I'm back on it, a, a, not as much as I was. That's the flip side of this. I learned that I don't have to be doing it all the time. Um, you know, and, and, and guess what? The world still kept revolving. Yes, definitely that. Well, how can people support you going forward? How, what, I know you have your group still messages, but anyone else going through trials like this, other than just reaching out and saying they care, what, what do you need when people say I'm praying for you? Does it help you? Does it make you feel better? Do you need it does, you know, and, and I told people, you know, I've got, so there's, you know, there, there are all of these people who care. Um, and I, it's kind of like, I've got this bubble around me and I, and when I go and I have tests and I have procedures and surgery and all of this, I, it's almost like I physically feel them there. And, and it wouldn't matter if it was five people or if it was 500, just the fact that I know that they're thinking about me at that point in time, it really does make a difference. And now here's the funny thing. Some of the times when I was lowest and thought, you know, and I was having the pity parties. Oh, why did this happen to me? What did I do? And, and I mean, you know, you, you go through that. That's normal. 
And I knew that, but, you know, and, and my little pity parties never lasted all that long. But then I would think, well, shoot, I can't let all these people down. <laughs> and, you know, and I really did. And, and which was, was funny. Um, you know, and, and a lot of them have said that I've been so strong and I've been so inspirational. Well, I did what I had to do and I did what anybody would do. Um, especially somebody who is a parent or, you know, all those things, you're going to do everything you possibly can to survive. And, you know, and, and, but what I would ask people is to really have more compassion for everybody. You know, think about, and, and maybe it is a Facebook post that you saw or, you know, somebody that you're working with that you can tell just something isn't right. Again, they just need to know that you care. And maybe all that means is that, you know, if it's somebody you work with, you smile at them, you know, or, or you smile at the person on the street or you take a little bit longer with a handshake. You know, don't take anything for granted. You know, I really did almost die. Um, you know, and, and it could happen to anybody. We could be in a car accident. We could be hit by lightning. All of these various things. So remember to tell the people that you care about them. You know, and, and, and you know, they might give you a kind of funny look, but that's okay. They know that, that you care. And that's kind of what I learned through all of this is, is just make sure that the people that you care about know. And so, you know, hug people, tell them you love them, send them notes, go to the store and buy them a Hallmark card. Um, you know, all of these various things, just let people know that you're there for them. And, you know, and, and maybe that's all they need. Maybe they need something specific. You know, hey, I need somebody to go to the grocery store. You know, all of these various things. But, you know, just, just let people know. And I know. think that's how we've moved using social media as a platform to sustain our friendships, but it and lets you stay in personal contact, even in an impersonal manner all across mm -hmm. the country without time barriers or distance barriers. So anyone can just mm -hmm. send a quick message to anyone else going through something, whether you're responding right. to a post or a quick private message, it really does a lot to let that person know mm -hmm. they haven't been forgotten. Right. Well, and even just clicking the like button, um, I forget which one of my posts it was. It was just one of the little, cutesy things that I posted 200 and some people clicked like on it. Did I go through and look at who they were? No, but to me, I went, Oh wow, look at all of these people. And, and that's been kind of the other sobering thing is people who I thought, and I, you know, and, and again, there are people who just don't know how to deal with this. And so you really can't no. judge them, but people who I thought were my good friends haven't said boo, you know, and okay, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to hold it against them. Will I remember it? Eh, probably. But other people who I honestly didn't think know I really existed have just showered me with concern, with support. And to me, I think that's been, you know, somebody told me that I never, that, you know, when I was mentioning this to them, they said, you never realize the influence that you have on people. And that's not just for me. I think that's for everybody. I, you know, and, and, and especially when times are tough, you know, you're thinking I'm all alone, nobody cares. And then you find out that, you know, and maybe it's five people, maybe it is 500. But when you find out that there are people who care, it really, you know, it, it does an awful lot for you. Well, so many people do actually care about you. And I think you have a better idea now, but you probably still don't understand it. And personally, I am just delighted that you're back at home, back on your show, back at work um, and getting ready to tackle the next challenge. And we got a lot of support for yeah. you for whatever hurdle comes yep. your way next. Well, and, you know, it was funny. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day that, you know, when the waves get rough, you just have to mm -hmm. surf. And, and I posted and I said, well, that's a good thing because I don't know how to swim. Um, and, you know, and that really is true. You find different ways to adapt and, you know, you get through these things. And, and you know, my, my Facebook page says we get by with a little help from our friends. And that really is it. Um, you know, it's, it, it's having your friends and them having your back. And I don't care if they're down the street or thousands of miles away, just knowing that they're there really does make a, a huge difference. Well, I'm glad you're healthy. I am glad you're back. And I look forward to hearing the rest of your shows as you help the rest of us employ social media. Cool. Well, you know, and like I said, for some people, it's something that they're really going to do. And for other people, no, they choose to keep it very private. And that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I live my life a little bit more publicly and, and that worked for me. But, you know, just always remember... We don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. And so give them a smile. Give them a, you know, give them a little bit of encouragement. Even if we're feeling kind of 
gloomy that day because you give the smile, it comes back to you. Very true. Very true. Cool. Well, Karen, thank you so much. This has been great fun. Um, and uh, it's it's been, you know, it's it's interesting to talk through all of this. Like I said, I do this all very publicly, um, you know, and, and everything. But for people who do have questions, reach out to me on Facebook. Um, if you want to email me, email me at info at debcareer.com. Um, you know, find me on Facebook. I'm there. It's just Deb Career. You can, easy ways to go to my website, which is debcareer.com. I'm more than happy to help um, point you, even if it's just that you want me to click like on a, on a post of yours or give you some support, you know, let me know how I can help you. And Deb, do the same for us. Let us know what we can do for you. Cool, cool. Well, again, thank you. And to everyone, have a great day and we will talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>